Robert Half Research indicates 9 out of 10 hiring managers are having difficulty hiring. If you have open roles, chances are you're feeling this too. That's why you need Robert Half. Our specialized recruiting professionals engage with our proprietary AI to connect businesses of all sizes with highly skilled talent in finance and accounting, technology, marketing and creative, legal, and administrative and customer support. At Robert Half, we know talent. Visit roberthalf.com today. Welcome back to the Cover 3 Podcast with your hosts, Chip Patterson, Tom Fernelli, Danny Cannell, and Bud Elliott. It's your call for the best college football coverage from National Signing Day to the National Championship and everything in between. CBS Sports presents the Cover 3 Podcast. And welcome back to the Cover 3 Podcast here on CBS Sports. That's Bud Elliott, that's Danny Cannell, that's Tom Fernelli. I'm Chip Patterson, coming to you live at youtube.com slash cover three, running four wide, and it feels so good. Bud Elliott, Danny Cannell, Tom Fernelli, myself, we've got a lot to get into because this is going to be our college football playoff super preview. That means that, sure, I know that you want to know our locks. You want to know what our picks are going to be for the biggest bowl games in the college football schedule for the entire season. But you're going to have to wait for the locks episode. Thursday, 11 a.m. Eastern time, uh, we will be giving our exclusive Duke's Mayo Bowl locks right off the top, 30 minutes before kickoff. So it's appointment viewing that you come hang out at youtube.com slash cover three, and we will be carrying you through all of the rest of the bowl schedule, including our college football playoff picks. But these games are huge, and we've been talking about these teams all season. And so we want to make sure that we give the appropriate amount of time and the appropriate amount of analysis into not just the results, not just who covers, but you know what are going to be the real keys to this game. And hopefully, if we're good at our jobs, the analysis that we give you is going to help you feel confident or make an informed decision, get you fired up for the game, even if you're not into the wagering angle. So uh, let's let's go in the chronological order and, and let's begin with a, a little discussion about the Cotton Bowl, where number one Alabama is uh, entering, trying to do something not just in this game, but in this college football playoff that it has not accomplished since 2012. Because while Nick Saban has been rolling off national championships at Alabama, the Tide have not gone back-to-back since the 2011 and 2012 season. Very hard to win a national championship. Very hard to win two of them in a row. And that's what they're going to be doing here. Now, Cincinnati, of course, makes a ton of history as it enters the game as the first team from outside the group of five to be able to make uh, the college football playoff. The Bearcats are two touchdown underdogs. Alabama and Will Anderson is saying, we got that underdog mentality. Nobody ever believed in us. And I I guess I wanted to to start with, with a general uh, feeling about the matchup. like Because there's some other extraneous topics that I think are important, not only just to this game, but to the Georgia-Michigan game as well. But when you first saw this matchup revealed uh, on the selection show or when we knew it was pretty much going to be Alabama Cincinnati, like, but where do these teams fit against each other in, in ways that kind of stand out to you as significant? So I, I, I do think Cincinnati's defense is legitimately for real. Um, you do have this weird thing. And I don't know if you guys listen to like analytics podcasts and whatnot. There is this kind of concept that, like when when you have two really good defenses going against each other, bet the over pretty reliably uh, because 
a lot of a lot of defense is tied to who you played slightly more so than offense is. I know that sounds kind of crazy, but it seems to track. Uh, but I do think Cincinnati has played uh, some good offenses, and I think they legitimately have a good number of professional players there on their defense. Uh, to me, this game is going to come down to: Do you actually believe in Desmond Ritter? Uh, obviously, I don't because I had that preseason bet with Tom uh, that he would not be a first-round pick, um, as well as Malik Willis. I I don't really love Cincinnati's offense. We will see. We'll see how well. They, I mean, of course, we're going to see how well they're going to play. They're going to play the game, but I think Cincinnati's defense has a chance to give Alabama some trouble here. I just don't know if the offense can hold up its end of the bargain. What do you guys think? Pretty much in line with that. I do think that, I mean, I I think the key area here for Cincinnati in this matchup is going to be its secondary against those Alabama receivers. And I think that Cincinnati has a couple of NFL guys in its secondary, which will help them. It's just... I think that they're strong in the defensive line. I think they've got good linebackers. The question is, and what we're going to find out in this game, is are they strong enough to go against an offense with the kind of size and strength and speed and athleticism that Alabama has for 60 minutes? Because while the Bearcats have been great all season long, they haven't really played a lot of Alabama's. So that's going to be a very interesting thing to watch. But I do think that they have talented players. I do think that they're a team that could surprise people in this one and make it more competitive, kind of like what we saw last season when they played Georgia in the bowl game. I mean, I thought in that game they were going to get steamrolled and they held up pretty well. But as you know, Bud has talked about on the show all season long and we've, we've talked about a little bit, I feel like last year's Cincinnati team was better than this year's Cincinnati team. So I don't know if that's going to be the case again, but I do think that this is just, it's really easy to look at this matchup and be like, oh, David versus Goliath. And, you know, while David wins in the story, it doesn't usually work out that way in real life. But I don't think, I don't think of Cincinnati really as a David. I just think of it as a very good team that's in a David conference, if that makes sense. So it's, it's going to be an interesting matchup. I'm not it's going to come down to whether they can cover the receivers. If if somebody can keep Jamison Williams from getting behind them too many times is really what it's going to be. John Mechie could be a big loss. I mean mm-hmm. that that you know one down guy um is going to make it a little bit easier. I'm torn on this one. Uh because I look at both of and I think both teams are kind of similar like both have played down to some competition at various times. But then at their best we saw what Bama did against Georgia, and we saw what Cincinnati did against Notre Dame. But I don't think Notre Dame's – I think they were still kind of struggling in the offensive line. They weren't quite full strength when they played that game. Not to take away from what Cincinnati did. Um, Desmond Ritter played great in that game. They did have Kyle Hamilton in the secondary, so they were going against you know a really talented player. But like of all the games that I look at from Miami's schedule – because they struggled against Auburn, they struggled against LSU, they struggled against Florida, and they struggled against Texas A&M. But like, does Cincinnati resemble those teams? I don't think so. Like, I think Cincinnati kind of resembles Miami. And if that's what you're gonna get, like, good luck. You saw that game? Yeah, but I don't. But since, but Miami's secondary is not as good as Cincinnati. So like, I do. Like, I, I. I'm torn. I honestly do not have a pick yet in this game, but I do think that Cincinnati's secondary is better than Georgia's. 
You know, like they've got a couple NFL guys on there. I just wonder if Bama can can push around Cincinnati. Like they could not because they didn't push around Auburn. They didn't put again, those like the bigger boys of the SEC, they didn't push around. Um, so I don't know. I'm I'm torn on this one. You know, I I think it's an interesting concept, Danny, because it, it's a different conversation on, on both sides of the ball, right? I Teams did give this Bama defense last year, or excuse me, or earlier this year, some trouble. And I, I don't want to make it seem like I don't think Cincinnati can score at all. Um, Cincinnati moved the ball pretty effectively on Houston, which is coordinated by Doug Belk, who is a, a, a saving disciple, right? So like the last game we saw the Cincinnati team play, how did they do it? They, they used a lot of motion. They ran some of their split stuff. They, they attacked them at, at different levels. And you know, this Bama defense, they have Will Anderson. Uh, they don't have the best corners in the world. And sometimes their linebackers in coverage, especially Toto, have been exposed. Now, Georgia failed to do a lot of that there in the SEC title game, and Bama had some good answers for them. So a lot of this just comes down to you know, can Ritter play at a really high level and can the offensive line hold up and find ways – to neutralize Will Anderson enough because he's really that one difference maker for them. Uh, but you don't want to have to use too many resources to neutralize him. Otherwise, you're saying, "Hey, we're gonna put, we're gonna double Will Anderson all the time, and then all of a sudden we're gonna win how many one on ones against Bama or one on twos in certain situations?" I would run Ritter a lot in this game. I, I think his have legs to. have, and that's not. I don't normally believe like, "Hey, to beat Bama, you have to have the mobile quarterback." The stuff I've found is like typically you have to have a dude on the outside who can win one-on-ones because Bama, char- Bama really challenges you to play NFL ball and to beat them in, in one-on-one matchups. But I don't know that Cincinnati can move the ball well enough if Ritter's legs aren't prominently featured and then also a legitimate threat that is established that Cincinnati has to – or that Bama has to uh, account for. Yeah, and that's the thing too you just touched on there because like Alec Pierce is a very good receiver for the Bearcats, but he's great not, with his shirt off. Looks great with his shirt off. He's a good athlete, but he's not an elite athlete. You know what I mean? And I don't know. Like he's a guy who can use his body. His he, he positions himself well. He he high points the ball. He can, you know, he's he's very good in traffic, kind of, you know, winning jump balls and all that kind of stuff. But he's not really the kind of receiver that you worry about just absolutely killing guys and getting wide open and and especially going against, you know, upper echelon defenses and athletes and other players so that is a concern for me too so i agree i think ritter's legs are going to be huge for the bearcats in this game i think drum ford's going to be huge for the bearcats in this game because i think that part of your approach if you're cincinnati in this game and you want to try to pull off this upset like danny you were talking about do they have the defense that could you know give alabama's offensive line problems i think they have good players i worry about their size like i don't know if they're quite big enough so I I think that your best strategy going forward in this game is probably going to be to keep the Alabama offense off the field as much as possible and try to control the tempo. Don't, that's not to say you don't want to get bogged down in the run game because if you do that, you're just going to face third and long and die every yeah. single time. Yeah, you're going to find yourself in horrible situations yeah. and then having to chase. But it's going to be important for them to find that kind of balance between Ford and Ritter to keep Alabama's defense honest. So this has stood out to me a lot when trying to break down this game. Alabama's offensive line, I believe, played its best game of the season against Georgia. Considering the opponent, considering the performance, that was the best thing that you had. And Nick Saban talked about you know, motivation. We really challenged this group to answer the call and to step up. And, and they did. 
But we've also got lots and lots of examples from throughout this season, whether it be an entire game, whether it be a key stretch. We've got um, performances, close calls against LSU, close calls against Auburn, times where um, this Alabama offensive line has gotten some of the the disrespect and the doubters and and all the haters that are out there that seem to have this Crimson Tide team motivated as they are going through media availability, trying to do, declare themselves the underdog in the college football playoff as the number one overall seed and the defending national champion with the greatest coach of all time on the sidelines. But I do wonder if you're the if you are Cincinnati's defensive front, and I do agree that I think Cincinnati, particularly on the defensive line, was better last year. Secondary is mostly the same. I mean, you still had yeah. Sauce Gardner, still had Kobe Bryant. So that would be one spot where I do think that Cincinnati was better last year. But if I'm defensive coordinator, um, if I'm the defensive coordinator of Cincinnati, which is, I believe, a trestle, right? Mike? I'm not sure. I think so, yeah. Yeah, Den Brock and Trestle, I think, are our two assistants. And Luke Fickle, of course, a defensive background coach. If you're putting together your your game plan here, there's a lot of tape on being able to show what you can do. For LSU, what was it? we say it was a little bit of surprise, like all that like zero, like blitz-heavy type stuff. But what can you take from that? Now, Auburn uh, had a different game plan, but one that was also pretty effective in limiting what Alabama's offense could do. I think that Alabama's offensive line has been inconsistent enough throughout the entire season and that Cincinnati might not be the unique motivating factor that Jordan Davis and Nicobe Dean and the Georgia defense might be and that whatever that little extra oomph is, it, it might be really tough to channel that. But that only allows Cincinnati to hang close. And again, I, I'm, I'm not going to like fi- you know put in my pick here, but the, the ways that Cincinnati, I think, wins this game has to be with Desmond Ritter... Uh, limiting the just back-breaking mistakes and a defense that is going to be able to prevent Alabama from uh, really getting into the the kind of rhythm from in the passing game that allows them to to set up the splash plays. And so if Cincinnati can win those early downs and if Cincinnati can get some pressure on Bryce Young and if Alabama's offensive line doesn't hold up like it has done it several times throughout the season, I, I kind of see that as like the, the whether this ends up being a low-scoring Alabama wins, but Cincinnati's keeping it interesting, or whether this thing goes totally sideways, to me, kind of depends on when Alabama's offense is going up against Cincinnati's defense. I think, too, the other thing that probably didn't get enough credit, Alabama's offensive line was good, but the design, like that to me, looked like the first game that Alabama was like, we're not going to be able to hold the ball day. We better get it out. I mean, that ball was out, out, out. I mean, it was coming out quick. If you went and look at the release times, Bryce Young was not holding it quick or, or for very long, and I think that was by design. That's why I think Bill O'Brien deserves a ton of credit for the game plan as well. I think Cincinnati's going to have to get uh, a little exotic, like bring more looks, bring more pressures, because where I don't think they're going to have success is trying to rush with four and drop with seven. You know, you're, you're just not – that's where I don't think they have the personnel to do that. But I do think one of the things they could challenge with the secondary they have is be a little bit more aggressive with your guys on the outside. Say, hey, we'll get up and bump you. We'll throw off some of that timing where we're you're going to have to get rid of it quick because we're bringing, we're going to have a guy coming free and then you got to challenge them and they have to win some of those battles on the outside. Like you cannot, I think, wasn't it Ohio State last year where Devontae Smith like took one like little like five-yard hitch almost and turned it up for a touchdown. Like you cannot have one of those which is why I do think like the first quarter, first quarter and a half, 
is vital for Cincinnati or any Alabama opponent kind of to hold on for dear life or else it'll turn into Notre Dame national championship game. Like, and once you're down too much, then I think that's where panic sets in on both sides of the ball. You start pressing and it's kind of too late. And yeah, that's one thing too. Like we're probably going to know pretty early. Like Cincinnati is second in the country in pressure rate at 38.2%, which means it gets pressure on quarterbacks 38.2% of the time they drop back. It's a very complicated statistic. But that's (laughs) the second highest rate in the country. And if we see in like the first possession, the first couple possessions, if they're not getting to Bryce Young, it's going to be a long day because that's part of the reason Gardner and Bryant have had such amazing seasons. It's a lot easier to cover when you only have to cover for a couple seconds. And if they're not getting that kind of pressure on Young and Alabama is allowed to take its time and Jamison Williams is allowed to get, you know, if you give Jamison Williams three seconds to beat you, Jamison Williams is going to beat you. So that's going to be a huge factor, and that's definitely something to watch early. I, I think the one thing I'll be, I'll be watching for is explosiveness on early downs. Um both Cincinnati's defense in particular is really damn good on passing downs. Now, part of that's because I think some of the quarterbacks they've faced, but they really are like top five in almost every stat category you can look at when they get you to, you know, second and eight plus, third and five plus. So can Alabama, you know, hit those play action shots over the top to get on those guys early? Conversely, I do not trust Cincinnati's drop back game in those situations. So Cincinnati, for as much as we think they need to hold the ball, and, and I, I do, obviously, somewhat. Uh, their explosiveness probably has to come on those early downs via some play-action concepts, and it'll it'll come down to can their offensive line, which I don't think is as good as it was last year, can that hold up against Bama's pass rush or against Bama's you know some run blitzes or, or, or early downs where you're play-actioning these guys, you're trying to get over the top, you're trying to create some explosives. To me, that'll probably be the deciding factor. If Cincinnati can't hit those explosive plays, I don't have a whole lot of confidence that they can, you know, convert third and seven consistently and drive the field and hang in it. You know, that's that's a funny thing you bring up because you talk about their offensive line looking at the same stat for pressure allowed. Their pressure rate, yeah. They're sixth, according to PFF in the country. You know who's ninety third? Is it Cincinnati? Bama or Bama? Alabama. Yep. Yeah. Mm. There's a weird split here, though, Tom. If you look at it, so. They're 123rd on blitz down success rate offensively. So, like when they get in those bad situations, somehow they're not registering as allowing pressures. I've been looking at this, but they're 68th in passing down sack rate allowed. So, to me, that says how good is Ritter moving around in the pocket, and then also, um, you know, how well do those receivers get open? There's some weird stuff going on there because third in, in pressure rate is incredible. Yeah, because their pressure rate, like I said, is six. But to your point, sack rate, they're 35th. Yeah. <laughs> so it's like, so a lot of it's got to be on Ritter just not getting rid of the ball. That's my thought, too. Mm, interesting. So um, before we get into the the strangest and most uncontrollable aspect of the entire college football playoff, I, I'm going to say that my I'm probably more intrigued than enthused about their first game. I think that the like y'all said, the first quarter can can have me ratcheting up my my energy level. But because of Alabama's experience, and I'm, I apologize if I've said this too many times, but I just see um, Alabama against Washington, Alabama against Michigan State, Alabama against Kelly Bryant led Clemson. Those games were not fantastic Alabama wins, but there was never really a doubt. 
that Alabama was going to end up winning that game. The other team just did not have uh, the skill players in the offense to be able to any by any chance threaten to score. Clemson, obviously, with the quarterback. I would say Jake Browning's probably also the quarterback. Michigan State probably with the skill players. But I that's probably my read here. Are, where's the intrigue, enthusiasm, excitement level for all y'all for the for the Cotton Bowl? Excitement on a scale of one to ten is probably a six. Intrigue is about a seven and a half. I mean, it's a playoff game, right? I mean, like, like we're talking about players opting out of stuff. I can't. I, I I'm all in. I don't think it brings as as much excitement as the Orange Bowl does, but it's up there. By the way, Alabama trying to be the underdog is kind of like Tim Tebow. No one believed in me when I was coming out of high school line. Like he was the most heavily recruited player in the country, and everyone was lining up for him. You can you can tell yourself that all you want. It's just not the reality of what's going on. I think it's kind of funny though. But elite athletes do that somehow. Yeah, yeah, they do. You're right. Like Tom Brady still motivates himself somehow based on that draft nonsense. Yep, he does. What about you, Bud? We're, well, ultimately, like, sort of final thought on, on the intrigue or enthusiasm for the uh, the early kick. I'm I'm pretty excited for it, to be honest. I I think there's still some flaws in this Bama team. The the the, the 12 games prior to the game they played against Georgia, they still count. And I think the adjustments they made against Georgia matter the most, obviously. But like those games still happen, and I want to see you know can Cincinnati hang in better than I don't know like 2015 Michigan State did or that Washington team did or, you know, the, the Oklahoma team that got blasted by Bama. I, that's kind of what I'm going to judge them on. Like, do, do they belong? And if, if they show me more than that, awesome. But I, I Bama's beaten these teams, like you guys said, routinely by three, four, five, sometimes six scores. Yeah, it's uh, because Bama can play its B-minus game and win. I'm like, oh, okay. Let's 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 see what happens out here. <laughs> okay, before we uh before we hit the break, what's our level of concern about um and and from we, this can be from the wagering perspective or this could also just be from the analysis perspective. What's our what's our COVID related personnel concerns for these playoffs right now? Hi, none. none? Like- Concern for player health or concern that like it might impact my bet because it's, it's a little bit different. Yeah, it's totally different. Ha, my both concern, of them should be nil. Both uh, of them should be nil. My but concern, my concern that the competition will be altered in a significant way. And as somebody who wants to see um, both of the, every team at as full strength as possible to compete for the national championship, I've got some concern. I I'm would, concerned. I would say my concern is what the CDC said yesterday. Now it's a five-day isolation period if you test positive. So don't test. Boom. Problem solved. We're fine. Don't test the not, between now and the game. But are they? But they're still testing, aren't they? I don't know. They shouldn't be. If they had a brain, they wouldn't be. Exactly. They shouldn't <laughs> be. But I think they still are. Or else Boise State probably would have played in their bowl game. You know, t- there's a lot of teams that would have still played. Now this is the playoff. There is more at stake. So hopefully the the minds come together and everybody gets on the same page because it's my understanding it's by conference. You know that you follow your conference protocols, but I don't even know if that is really followed. Like, do you think you think Greg Sankey's going to come in and say, hey, you two teams, make sure you're still testing? No, he's probably just saying, hey, let's just make this go away as quickly as possible so we can get this game played. I do worry about it, though. Like, I, I Like, if those tests come back positive, whether they're showing symptoms or not, there's a there's a 
chance that we could see players out. That concerns me. We are. We just saw the ACC change. I don't know these guys protocols. are actually testing unless they're showing symptoms. Yeah, and even then. Yeah. How symptomatic is symptomatic? Mm-hmm. That's what I'm saying. Like, you could have a runny nose. It's freaking December. Like, it doesn't necessarily mean. Or you could, and this is where you get nervous. Where even if it's minor to the players, what if there is an outbreak of? Yeah, you know, we saw Florida and Florida State both had 23 players out with the flu, but that's that's a concern. So, yeah, I'm still that- I'm worried. Yeah, was that the post Halloween flu? It was a really good yeah. Halloween in Tallahassee. Yeah. <laughs> and don't forget all the all these players. Uh, did all of them go home? Uh, I don't know. Michigan did not. Let Michigan stayed on home. campus. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So lay the house on Michigan right now. I, I <laughs> have considered <laughs> oh, that if I look at all of these teams and I just paint with a very broad brush, I might say Michigan's got the uh, the COVID advantage. Mm-hmm. Just just you know. If, Michigan, if I was to guess, Michigan's probably already come up with a cure and it's only keeping it for itself anyway. Let's be <laughs> Yeah, that's absolutely true. Okay. So if you're watching this video right now and I can see by the ticker that a bunch of y'all are, you might notice that the, the chat's not popping. Refresh the stream right now. Refresh the stream on YouTube and you will be able to see uh, all of the familiar functions of our Cover 3 live shows brought back to life. And after you refresh the stream, do us a favor. Go ahead and smash that like button. Smash that like button. We love that you're here and we want you to uh, let us know. Hey, chat's back. Thank there you, Alex. Go. You it's know, it just now. it doesn't feel the same getting like doing the show without getting trolled in the comment section. It just doesn't feel the same. So bring yeah, those that's, comments. <laughs> that's how much we love the chat. And those of you who join us live at youtube.com slash cover three is that it was malfunctioning and we didn't have everyone uh, dropping all of the troll trolling comments. But oh, we there. want them. We need them. So yeah, again, if if you are watching right now and you do not see the chat, hit refresh on the YouTube stream and smash that like button. Once it refreshes, you'll be able to see the chat. Coming up on the other side, we turn our attention to the primetime kick in the college football playoff. Georgia and Michigan in the Orange Bowl. Next got some questions that uh, were apparently just being typed into the void. Uh, but Carson wants to know, how's the fam doing? Welcome back. Doing well, man. Doing real well. Uh, they're actually in Baton Rouge now. Or, well, probably Pensacola by, by now. But they were driving over there, see Maggie's grandparents and stuff. And, uh, yeah. Well, they're all with them. Baby, baby still did, like, all the checkups. We're hitting all of our marks. Yeah, man. He's, just, he, he's eating like a champ and uh, sleeping. We're getting, like, three- and four-hour blocks, which is good, you know? She's REM got, cycles, baby. Stack she's them got, up. She's got the equipment for that stuff. I really don't. So I'm taking the two-year-old more, you know, and uh, and kind of let, letting her sleep until whenever she needs to sleep into. Cool. So L- Love that to hear it. All right. Georgia and Michigan in the Orange Bowl. Um, I would say that our concerns about player availability are higher here. And I, I would say that just because, boy, you're in South Beach, New Year's Eve week. Are you kidding me? Like the the Nick Saban book of eliminating distractions said that we need to get the number one seed so we can go to the Dallas metro area and we can go post up near the Frisco star and whatever restaurants they got around here are not going to be the same 
as whatever you could walk to in downtown Miami, or if I don't even know if they're still putting teams at the fountain blue, but I know that back in the day, they still used to put one team down at the fountain blue. You'd be a college football player and Rihanna walks in. How are you going to handle that situation? You're going to keep your cool. I wouldn't keep my cool. I wouldn't keep mine. No, no. I, <laughs> I, I will say just, just, you know, you can ask Michael Irvin, who's pretty familiar with South Florida and the Dallas Metroplex area. There's a lot of ways to have fun in both cities, Chip. Facts. A lot of ways. <laughs> <laughs> that is, that is a hundred percent, a hundred percent true. So uh, Georgia and Michigan, let, let's start with the on-field stuff. Um, remember Tom, when we talked about, Michigan and Iowa, where we said there are two teams that generally want to do the same thing. Michigan's just better at it and with better players. Mm-hmm. Does the same conversation conversation sort of apply here with Georgia and Michigan with the roles being reversed? Not to the same degree, but yeah. Sure. Yeah, I, but I, I think honestly, the biggest difference though that kind of kills that comp is that Michigan has the better QB. Oh, then Georgia. You would take mm-hmm. McNamara over Stetson Bennett. Yeah. Yeah. I would agree with that. And I think that's kind of important in a football game. Well, yeah. And then we were comparing it to Iowa's quarterbacks as well. So that mm-hmm. that does provide uh, somewhat of a situation. Well, what about for that Michigan offense? So Blake Corum says that he's you know feeling good. Uh, remember, uh, we saw Hassan Haskins really emerge as the primary part of that backfield. They did have a little one-two punch going when both of them were healthy with Donovan Edwards also getting some run in there once he was able to get brought up to speed. But moving the ball on the ground is such a key piece of what Michigan and Cade McNamara want to do offensively. Do you think that Michigan will be able to do that against this Georgia defense, which for 12 games looked like it was going to be historic? And I think that based on the 13th game alone – we kind of have to pedal off the historic defense and instead discuss it as, without a doubt, the best unit in the country this season and among the better defenses that we've seen recently. But do you think that the Georgia defense will be able to have a rebound uh, when going up against this Michigan ground game? I mean, They'll rebound. They're not going to give up 41. I don't think they're going to give up that. But I also think there's an aspect of it because – like. When Tiger got beat by who was it, Y Yang? We we're kind of like, it was like, okay, Tiger's beatable. I do think some of the lore around Georgia's defense has gone away somewhat. So Michigan comes in watching what they did. And then if you go back, like I do think a lot of teams had opportunities to either keep the game close in the second half, but you know, poor quarterback decisions killed him. I go back to the Auburn game, the Florida game. Same reason why I even gave Alabama a chance in the national in the SEC championship game was there were some bad mistakes from the quarterbacks. That to me, like I think Michigan's going to struggle to run the football, but they're so committed to it that all it takes is one of those to pop out. You know, and they're very committed to it. And all it takes is a couple sprinkles, whether it's JJ McCarthy or some trick play. You know, some something that's going to be a shot play or just a straight, you know, play action pass where they take a shot. They've got to at least showcase the ability to keep them honest, which I do think they will. Yeah. It's, I mean, it's funny. Cause we, we talk about like, you know, Alabama took advantage of Georgia and was really able to run the ball. on well, They averaged 4.4 yards per carry. It's not like they were running all over them. They just did better than anybody else did for the most part. And it's, I think that Michigan, I mean, it's 
it's the big question for this game. I, I think that the Wolverines are going to try to run the ball, but I also don't think the Wolverines have to run the ball. I think that is the one key kind of thing, the evolution of that offense as the season went along was, you know, they were pretty much an option team for like the first two two months of the year, just running the ball 50 times a game because they didn't have to throw. And then as the competition got a little bit more difficult over the at last month of the season, they started throwing more. They, they've shown a much more of a better ability to do it, and they've become more of a complete and better balanced offense. So obviously, I think if you're going to beat this Georgia defense consistently, you have to be able to do both. But I think it would help if they can run the ball, if not to the same level that they did during the regular season, but at least effectively enough to where Georgia can't just, you know, pin its ears back and go get Cade McNamara and then take out its receivers. So... I think they can. I don't think they're going to be averaging five yards per carry. I don't think they're going to be rushing for 200 yards. I think it's just going to be kind of a keep the chains moving kind of run game where it's like, all right, we're going to get three or four yards here to put us into a third and manageable. You know, for for a game that has a total this low, I, I'm pretty excited to watch the, the chess match here. Um, mm-hmm. Michigan has the best offensive line, I think, that Georgia will have faced. It's Kentucky, good, yeah. Kentucky probably being number two, I would – I would think um, Michigan won the Joe Moore award. I think they're legitimately a, a very good offensive line. They, they should be able to, to protect their passers fairly well. Um, how much do you get McNamara and McCarthy involved in this game? Like, do you let McNamara roll, like just, just run, run this thing? How much can you replicate the Alabama game plan if you have to? Because I, it, it does strike me that maybe what is most effective against Georgia's defense is something that, even though Tom is right that they have evolved some, it still feels very outside their comfort zone to run a lot of three-step quick game stuff for, for Michigan over and over again. Georgia wants to, to win against your run game without putting the extra guy in the box. They want to play zone on early downs. Teams have actually had some decent success doing so against Michigan, the, stopping the pass on early downs, playing zone. They have not had much success stopping the run game. Georgia does not seem to bust run game assignments very often. Kobe Dean and those dudes are are the real deal. Uh, I don't know how well Georgia can, or excuse me, Michigan can isolate and exploit Georgia in that fashion, right? Can they go and say, hey, we're not going to try to pound our head into the wall 40 times. We think Georgia's probably going to stuff our run game up front. Can we drop back and sling it 45 times and be good enough doing so? I don't know. I, I think that you will see McCarthy a little bit because I think to what you're saying is Georgia doesn't like to bring the extra guy down in the box. By putting in McCarthy, you give more of an RPO kind of spread, like a read option kind of element to your offense that Michigan right. has. And I think that they will probably want to use that because of the way Georgia is going to try to defend the run to give them another guy they have to worry about because Cade McNamara is not a running, you know, he's, he, he's not, He's not a statue, but he's not a guy you're looking to run intentionally. He's a guy that can pick up yards if they're there and there's nothing else there. But So I do expect to see sub-McCarthy. How much we see, I don't know. But I think if you're Michigan, you have to put him out there just to keep that Georgia defense honest. By the way, if you're thinking about picking an upset here, can you name me all the teams that have pulled an upset in the playoff era? So there's been 24 games. We've had seven upsets. Uh, I think Ohio State in the first one, and that's about it. Ohio State and Clemson have yeah, combined Clemson. for all seven yeah. upsets. Yeah. Nobody else has ever won a playoff game as an, as an underdog. National t- – and that would be the 18 national title? 
Wait, are you just saying the semifinals? So Clemson has four. Clemson has four playoff wins as an underdog, and Ohio State has three. Mm -hmm. Nobody else has ever won a playoff game when they were the Vegas dog. Gotcha. You were not talking about individual instances as only being two. You were just saying like programs. Two two programs. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's yeah, and with you know the four versus one of Ohio State versus Alabama being the closest thing that we've got to UMBC in the college football playoff (laughs) era, and it was Ohio State. The Ohio State team that shouldn't even have been there, Chip. Yeah, they they weren't good enough to be able to go out there and. They lost to Virginia Tech three and a half months ago. (laughs) Come on, I, I, I like the idea of upset. Um, from the standpoint of this being uh, just a this being just like a Jim Harbaugh Michigan year, and just I don't know the the way that this season has broken and the way that all of those um, all of those perceived hurdles that have kept Jim Harbaugh from being the Michigan coach that so many expected when he was hired, uh, not being able to win in Madison against Wisconsin, that happened. Uh, you know, having struggles in Happy Valley against Penn State, you go get that win. And then ultimately, the biggest one of them all, finally taking down Ohio State, following that up with the dominant Big Ten championship win. I, I could see that... Um, I could see that following up. I mean, and just to go total, just narrative, fun, college football, talking about stuff that doesn't even matter and isn't even on a spreadsheet. Kirby Smart had an opportunity to have his own Jim Harbaugh moment down in Atlanta to finally get that win that's just been nagging at you and just kind of been nipping at you. And they just came a little bit short. And so I I think that the if you're just going to go on like fun college football, trying to pick an upset, I think that, Taking Michigan here from the, you know, outside mojo kind of angle, I, I, I don't think that it's a, it's a bad play. I would just go money line for value. You know, don't, don't mess with that seven and a half. Just go ahead and just go all in on it. I also think it's interesting from the perspective of how we've talked about this game so far. It's been Georgia's defense versus Michigan's offense. I think the other aspect might be pretty huge. Might might be the one that determines this game. I mean, that's where I think. Yeah, that's where I'd like confidence, mindset, all that momentum. Like while you're talking about Chip, like man, Michigan. But I think Michigan's getting a little too trendy for a you know an upset pick. But like, where is Georgia on the offensive side of the ball with Stetson Bennett? And I actually think it probably was a better thing, not for anybody that they're in COVID protocols, but the JT Daniels hasn't been there, able to practice. It's kind of like okay that question has kind of been taken out of the conversation. Like, oh, are you going to start JT Daniels? Like, which I think would have been a massive panic move for Georgia to do that. Then Bennett gets all the reps. They kind of know exactly what they're going to get. But what's their confidence level in, in Stetson Bennett, which I think has clearly been shaken in some of the bigger games he's faced. You know, Florida, he wasn't great. SEC championship game wasn't great, although that game was not his fault. That was on the defense. You know, he played well enough, I thought, to win. But you wonder where they are mentally against a defense, which doesn't get talked about enough because we're talking about Georgia's defense, but Michigan's defense was mm-hmm. pretty freaking awesome. I think in a lot of ways you're better off with Bennett than you are Daniels in this game because Bennett can move better. Mm-hmm. And you're going to have to be moving because the Michigan pass rush is going to be, you know, it, Ajabo and Hutchinson are going to be causing problems for this Georgia offensive line all day long because that's the problem. Like when you have two very 
good pass rushers on the edge, like you can't really scheme your protection to take one out because then you're just letting the other one get one-on-ones and that's going to be problematic unless you're leaving extra guys in the chip then and then you don't really have as many guys running routes and blah, blah, blah. And I think that Bennett's ability to move in the pocket and scramble when things break down will be huge for Georgia in this game to keep the chains moving because I can already see a lot of situations where Georgia's in like a third and long and Bennett uses his legs to pick up the first down. I, I think we'll probably see that a few times out of necessity. And I just don't know if JT Daniels would be able to do that at the same way Bennett is. So I think that's going to be huge. But it's also like I've, I mentioned Hutchinson and Ajabo. There's a lot of other really good players in this Michigan defense, too. Daxton Hill has been phenomenal awesome. all season long. He's been in the, both in coverage and coming up to stop the run and doing everything. He's just every single time, it feels like anytime there's a big play that's happening beyond the line of scrimmage. Daxton Hill is involved. Yeah, he's he was my a huge Saturday flip. Remember? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean that that was that was big time. I, I'm really interested to see Hill Hill against Brock Bowers because mm. as the season has gone on, Bowers has kind of emerged as Georgia's, I would say, best player on offense. I mean, he's a, he's, he's a true freshman. He should have yeah. won the the Gronk like presence. Yeah, I mean he's he's freaky. I, I I don't I don't know what the talents like in Pasadena, California, or not Pasadena. Excuse me. Um, was he uh Paso Robles? Or, or wherever it was, it was one of those wine country out there uh, in, in in Cali, as where he was playing his high school ball. Yeah, um, so was he playing all of the positions? Yeah, dude. Uh, now first base, Bugs Bunny. Now pitching, Bugs Bunny. Remember that old cartoon thing? Yes. If you guys are younger than thirty five, you probably don't remember this. Um, we all agree that if Georgia wins this game, it's a, a the total is probably in the like low 40s or 30s. It, it's hard for me to see Georgia winning this thing like 31-27. Right. I think their path to victory is their defense, which I think is better than Alabama's defense, makes Georgia's offense look like crap. Mm-hmm. Which I don't know if it's going to be able to do necessarily. Georgia's more physical than Ohio State was, certainly. Mm-hmm. Um, but... Michigan doesn't have to blitz a lot, and yeah. that'll be interesting to see how efficient they can be. Can they actually push push this Michigan defensive front around? Mike McDonald's done a hell of a job there as a defensive coordinator for Michigan this year. Like mm-hmm. They look worlds different than they did last year, and I'm interested as well. We've already seen what Michigan wants to do against a Saban-style defense. Mel Tucker coaches Michigan State, right? Like that's They run a very similar defense to what Georgia runs. Hell, Mel Tucker was UGA's DC not that long ago. And additionally, there's another common factor where Michigan State's corners were not considered to be all that good. And Georgia's secondary is considered not poor, uh, but not probably like the all time best secondary, like this front seven going in the Bama game was considered to be. So we kind of know how Michigan's offense wants to attack a maybe slightly suspect secondary running the Michigan State defense. I don't know. What was that? I don't know. Somebody wanted to help with something else. <laughs> oh, I think it's my watch. <laughs> well, I, I just got transcribed for uh, for my watch. Yeah, something else you can help with would, would be uh, can Georgia push the football down the field? Yeah. And hey, Siri, can Georgia push the football yeah. down the field? <laughs> I hope we set off someone's uh, someone's series somewhere listening right now in their car, on their phone or mobile device. And just just to make sure we're all encompassing here. Hey, Alexa, yeah. can Michigan get stops in third and short situations against a physical Georgia offensive line? All right, so we, you mentioned, Tom, that Stetson Bennett is probably a better option than JT Daniels. I, 
I'm not expecting to see JT Daniels and all this, like is JT Daniels traveling with the team? You know, I, I don't think that I've factored him in and that is not fascinating as much to me now, but if you had told me back in August that JT Daniels, that Georgia would be in the college football playoff semifinals, JT Daniels would not be a reason why they're there and would not be expected to be a factor in the game. I, I think that that's probably one of the bigger surprises of the season is that the only like sort of concern or personnel aspect that you're keeping your eyes on, especially as we're shutting down practices, we're blacking out windows, we're getting media availability off and rumors or symptoms. And, you know, it's, it's just, a, it's never easy around the Georgia football beat, you know, much, much love to Rusty Mansell and, and Kip and, and everybody at Dogs 247 because is it, no matter whether there's eight wins or 12 wins, there's drama around this program. And that seems to definitely be the case uh, here heading into the Orange Bowl. I mean, I can't rule out that JT Daniels is going to get some snaps, but I've just been operating. Like I wrote probably a month and a half ago at this point. I think we just need to accept the fact that Stetson Bennett is Georgia's QB and they're perfectly fine with it. <laughs> I think it's only a break the glass type situation yeah. where it's just so like if they ugly. get down multiple score, like a Jalen Hurts to a title game kind of scenario where it's like, well, we got to do something. But even in that one, I I don't know, like that game. What was that? Thirteen nothing or sixteen? What was the score of that game? I because I don't think Georgia expects to like light it up with Stetson as long as he's not screwing it up. I would think it's multiple interceptions, first half, three points. You make the move. Other than that, I don't think you'll see JT take the field at all. I mean, this doesn't really profile as the type of game where you would need somebody who can go out and score forty. Mm-hmm. Right. They've so only just, had one of those this year. And they couldn't score 40. No. Yeah, that's like the 4.4 yards per carry or Alabama rushing the ball, I don't think was ultimately my takeaway. I think it was the 421 yeah. passing yards. Yes. And I think that whatever, because we mentioned going into it, that Georgia had not faced a quarterback quite like uh, Bryce Young and the quarterbacks that they had faced where it was not exactly a long list of ones that were going to be able to carve you up through the passing attack. And I think that while the um, the Michigan offense and Cade McNamara are, are going to hope to be balanced and move the ball, I, I still don't think that we're talking about the same kind of matchup challenges that you have going up against the Heisman Trophy winner and then a backfield that, um, you know, with, with Jamison Williams leading the way. Roman Wilson's pretty good, though. I'll take Wilson for some key from key grabs in this one. You really wish you had you had Bell. Oh my gosh. Yes. Yeah. That this is like this honestly, it's we talked about it when it first happened, how that was gonna hurt Michigan's offense for the season, and it really didn't pack them too much. But I feel like this is the one time where you're like, Oh man, they really could have used him. Of course I could have said that about Ohio State too, and it didn't really bother him at that point. Yeah, that's good. Very, very good point. All right, any uh, final thoughts here uh, on either the the Orange Bowl or the Cotton Bowl? I will just say that I feel like we're all expecting the blowout to be the Cotton Bowl, and I think that that is the most likely blowout. But I think there's plenty of blowout potential in the Orange Bowl in both directions. Mm. Like, I think Georgia could just absolutely steamroll Michigan, and I think Michigan could steamroll Georgia. Are we thinking, like, is 24-10 a blowout in your mind? Three scores 
in this game. Okay. All right. I'm trying not to think like, here. Not like 42 to 10 kind of blowout, but like a 31 to 10. Hmm. Alt lines. <laughs> Let's get some alt lines. Shout out to uh, shout out to Nathan King, by the way, uh, of our Auburn Undercover, our Auburn twenty four seven sports site does a great job over there. Uh, he's at the at the game for Auburn Houston. If you're watching this live, you can catch it. Uh, he also has the bug in his ear from the radio. And former Auburn quarterback Stan White said on the Auburn pregame show that he expects uh, Davis, the true freshman quarterback there, a uh, real small real small kid, but was electric for Houston North Shore uh, to get a couple series today against Houston. So, so a reason to watch if you're an Auburn fan. Yeah, yeah. All about the future, baby. When when, when you get all these opt-outs, that's that's a good good way to, uh, to be able to get tuned in as a fan is to check out who you've got on deck. What we have on deck for you, the Cover 3 listener, the Cover 3 viewer, the Cover 3 family, is our final edition of the bowl locks that will include our locks for the college football playoff, our locks for the new year six and all the games throughout new year's Eve, new year's day, and all the way out to that last little bowl game on January 4th. Was it Kansas state LSU and LSU? Woo boy. We will get you locked and loaded for all of those uh, on Thursday, 11 a.m. Eastern time. YouTube.com slash cover three so that you can come and get our exclusive pregame Dukes Mayo Bowl picks and load up on Thursday as well as the rest of the bowl games. You can follow him on Twitter at Bud Elliott 3. You can follow him at Danny Cannell. You can follow him at Tom Fernelli. You can follow me at Chip underscore Patterson. Gentlemen, thank you very much. Thank you. See ya.